Hello and welcome back to the Vol Report Show. I'm Ryan Sylvia, joined by Noah Taylor. We are with ValReport.com on the Rivals Network. And on Saturday, Tennessee took down Vanderbilt 48-24 to to wrap up the regular season, 8-4 year. So let's jump right into kind of our thoughts on this season. Going into the year, I predicted 10-2. I believe you predicted 10-2 as well. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Are you disappointed in this year, two losses, or is it a situation where you look back to those seasons where Tennessee was five and seven trying to make bowl games and you kind of have to pinch yourself and remind yourself that eight and four is a good season uh, in terms of Tennessee in recent history, just maybe not the expectations hype was at? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I think if you're a fan, then it's it's good to keep perspective uh, and think back to where this program was four years ago. Uh, before Josh Heupel arrived in a period where you would have killed for eight wins. And now here you are with eight. And you mentioned that standard a minute ago. You won 11 last year, and now eight and four seems a little bit underwhelming. Um, I, I think overall, and you're right, I did pick 10 and two for, for this season. I felt pretty confident about that. I liked what Tennessee returned. I liked the way the schedule set up. Um, I think it's tough to say uh, if if – disappointed is the right word. It did fall short of expectations. Um, and I know we weren't the only people that thought 10 wins was obtainable for this team. Um, I think when you look at some of the losses and how they happened, uh, two of those losses, you know, you, you could make arguments that Tennessee, you felt pretty good at at some point. You go to that Florida game and, and that's a team that's finished five and seven. Um, you don't unravel in that second quarter. Maybe you win that game. You have that 27 lead against Alabama. If again, the third quarter, you know, kind of did them in and then you lose that game. And then, and then Georgia and, and Missouri, Georgia, you kind of expected given Tennessee's mm-hmm. injuries and everything at the end of the year, the way they were rolling, but Missouri was disappointing because it just didn't feel like Tennessee was ever in that game uh, for some reason. Um, but then when you look closer at the year and you look at some of the things Tennessee dealt with and you look at the offensive line and the shuffling that they had to do there, you look at wide receiver, you lost Brew McCoy at a critical time. You lost Dante Thornton when he seemed like he was really turning a corner in this offense. Uh, and then Keenan Peely, a guy that you expected big things out of, you lose him after week one and, and you got to play a lot of underclassmen. A lot of freshmen have to go out there and play on defense. So I, I think you can look at it both ways. It feels a little bit disappointing because you feel like Tennessee could have been better. Uh, but it's also good to, to put in perspective that that eight and four is a solid season and you've got a good chance to win nine games. Yeah, I think if you go eight and four every year, then there, there's a reason to to be truly upset. And I understand the frustration that a lot of people have on the season because, as you mentioned, you, you shouldn't have lost that Florida game. You should have been competitive at least against Missouri and a little bit more competitive against Georgia. And, and then Alabama, you, you kind of let it slip away in that third quarter. So I understand there's frustration. But you're coming off a, a 10-11 win season if you want to count the bowl game. And things look good in the future. So disappointed, sure, I, I can see a little bit of it. But I'm in the same boat as you as well, where you kind of have to look at it in the context of, of things and say, okay, that's fine. It's maybe not where we wanted to be. It's maybe not where the program wants to be. But going forward, I, I think the Vols are in a pretty good spot to, to surpass that eight-win mark next season. We'll get to that at the end of the show, our early predictions for next season. But like I said, disappointed. Sure, I can see why some fans would feel that way, but I also feel like it, 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 you would have begged for eight and four just six years ago, it seems like. So not uh, not the end of the world. Let's name our offensive and defensive MVPs. Though. We're going to start on the offensive side. 
who's one player that stood out to you, that MVP for the season? Yeah, I, I think it's got to be Jalen Wright, at least for me. Um, you know, he kind of carried the offense on his back at times and, you know, had a career season. You know, hit that 1,000-yard mark last week against Vanderbilt. Um, it was a good season for Tennessee's run game as a whole. Uh, I think all three backs, especially the two, Jalen and, and um, Dylan Sampson, it, it at times kind of took over games. You go back to Kentucky, that was a big game for Dylan Sampson. Uh, you know, they, they both had games where they really took over, but Jalen Wright led that group. And at times he, he spearheaded the offense. So I, I would say that, that Jalen Wright is my pick, um, a really good season for him. You, you really couldn't have asked for better if you're Tennessee. Uh, cause you know, last year, I, I think coming off of last year, you, you kind of thought, okay, they, they could get to keep this thing rolling offensively. You returned some, some strong receivers in that room. You went to the portal, you got some, you brought Joe Milton back. He's got a lot of experience. It just didn't pan out. There wasn't a lot of consistency there, and, and Tennessee had to lean on its run game to, to get it by. And you could say Jalen Wright's a big reason that they have eight wins. So, yeah, that, that's my pick for offensive MVP. I think you have to go Jalen Wright as well. 1,000-yard rusher, Tennessee's first since Jalen Hurd. Uh, he only finds the end zone four times, which is kind of funny compared to 10 last year, but, but there's obviously a lot more reasons that play into that. But he really was, as you said, the heartbeat of this offense at times, uh, him and Dylan Sampson kind of just taking over games. You hit him a lot of the main points, so I do want to give a shout-out to someone else that, that could be maybe in the consideration. If you want to look at MVP, most valuable player, I think you have to talk about Cooper Mays a little yeah. bit just because the way that he stepped in a little bit into the season after his hernia and this offensive line looked a lot different when he was there. There are still a lot of injuries, a lot of moving parts, and a lot of variables that led to this offensive line maybe not being as good as you would have hoped and at least taking a step back from last year. But I thought Cooper Mays had himself a pretty solid season. All signs point towards him coming back. He hasn't made that official announcement, but not going through senior day festivities with that extra year of eligibility, it looks like that's probably what he's going to do. So a big get for him as well. We'll also have to keep tabs on Jalen Wright after he finished his junior year, possibly a guy that could explore his NFL options. So those those are, I think, the two guys at the top of the offense for me that that get that MVP nod. But I would have to agree, if you have to pick one, Jalen Wright is the way to go with how productive he's been this season. Let's talk about the defense, though. Who's your defensive MVP? Yeah, I'm going to go with Tyler Barron. You know, he was a guy that I think on this podcast and in and, and some of our writing and, and things, we talked about him needing to step up in the offseason, a guy that there was a lot of expectations on him. Uh, it was kind of supposed to be his year, and, and he lived up to it, you know. Um, you know, co coaches, Rodney Gardner especially, talked about the way he kind of transformed and, and it started to matter to him more. Not that it didn't before, but it just seemed he put an emphasis on it mattering a lot going mm -hmm. back to the spring. And, you know, he's had his best season since he's been mm -hmm. at Tennessee. I think he was incredibly consistent. Uh, he's a big reason that defensive line had another strong year. Um, you got to remember, too, I mean, they, they had to replace some pieces up there. Not a lot. They brought a lot of guys back, but Byron Young was a, was a loss. You know, he's doing well in the NFL. So you kind of had to need a guy to step up there, and, and he definitely did that. I think James Pierce Jr. obviously mm -hmm. has an argument. He had a mm -hmm. great year. Um, but I, I would go with Tyler Barron, just just given what he was able to do and the fact that he is a veteran guy and, and really kind of played that role when Tennessee needed it the most. I kind of have a 1A, 1B on this again. For 1A, I'll go with Aaron Beasley just because of how banged up that linebacker room was. You mentioned earlier in the show, Keenan Peely plays one game and, and he's done. 
And now you have to fill these holes. Elijah Herring comes in as a sophomore, maybe not a position that he felt confident in to be that starting middle linebacker this early in his career. And he kind of had some growing pains. Then you look down the depth chart and you have two true freshmen that are those uh, backups in Arian Carter and Jeremiah T. Lander. And Arian Carter then in the later half of the year, he gets hurt. He has to miss the rest of the campaign. So now you're looking at Caleb Perry. It was just a really thin linebacker room. And I think Aaron Beasley kind of being that guy they could rely on to play pretty much every snap of a ball game and, and play it at a really high level, I think went a long way in kind of covering up maybe some of those depth issues. At 1B, though, Kamal Haddon, man, only played half the season, got injured in the Alabama game, uh, making a hit, and, and never was able to to get back. He, he played a couple more snaps in that game, but from there it was over. And he was phenomenal uh, this season for Tennessee, that best member of the secondary, and a big reason that Tennessee was able to win in some defensive dogfights against Texas A&M. The defense came up big against South Carolina as well. He had picks in both of those games. So Kamal Haddon also deserves a shout-out. Tough to, to justify him being the total MVP when you only play about half a season, but he went out on top for Tennessee in his final year of eligibility. Let's move on from MVPs. Let's talk about the best moment from the season, though. Eight wins, four losses. What was the best moment from it? Yeah, I think it's that Texas A&M win. It, it, it wasn't a banner day offensively for Tennessee, definitely below the standard of, of what we've come to expect out of a Josh Heupel team. But I think it was one of the more underrated wins of his tenure because you haven't seen Tennessee win games like that, mm-hmm. not, not just under Heupel, but previously. Um, you know, the, the defense may have peaked there. I know because after that, you know, you, you mentioned Kamal Haddon a second ago. He had an impact in that game. Him and Gabe Judy Lale came up with some game-deciding interceptions late, and then obviously you lose him the next week against Alabama, or, or after that, actually. But he does get the injury in that game. Um, so they came up big in that game. Texas A&M could not move the ball. It was a, it was a really tough day for Max Johnson. Um, you know, kind of one of those games where James Pierce Jr. and Tyler Barron really took over, and, and, and Texas A&M just could, could do nothing on Tennessee outside of an early touchdown. Um, and then special teams was huge. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. the D Williams play that, that gets the down punt there comes up big with the return after that for the touchdown. I think when you look back on it and I say underrated in Heupel's tenure, because it was kind of an old school way for Tennessee to win a football game, to win a slug fest. And I think a year ago, you wouldn't have expected them to win a game like that. Uh, but they did. And I think, I think it's Tennessee's best win of the season too, but you know, given the opponent, but I, I just think the way they want it, it makes it the, the best moment of the year. Yeah, that D. Williams return was a, a pretty awesome moment. Also, the two picks at the end, Kamal it, gave Judy Lolly right before that with the big return as well. Two great moments. I want to talk about another defensive moment, though. Kamal Haddon's pick six right before half against South Carolina. I think that's what takes it for me. Painting the picture a little bit. You're seconds before you go into halftime, and you have a 17-10 to 10 lead. South Carolina has the ball. You feel pretty good about Tennessee's situation. It felt like the Vols were in a good spot, but it also felt like South Carolina was maybe knocking on the door a little bit and had the opportunity to maybe get some momentum, even if you just finished that drive with three because you're running out of time. Maybe do something at the end of this half and, and carry it over to the next half and make this a game. Well, Kamal Haddon picks that uh, Spencer Rattler throw off. He takes it 28 yards into the end zone, does the little Dion shuffle uh, and, and gets the crowd going. I thought that was the best moment of the season. 
it kind of it gave you the 14 point lead at the end of the break, but it felt like it was a, a much bigger swing than, than just getting that 14 point advantage. It, it kind of seemed like that was the beginning of the end for South Carolina in that game. So that's the play that takes the cape for me. Let's talk about the worst moment of the season, though. If you can talk about the best, you have to talk about the worst. What was the bottom tier moment for you? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to start off with an honorable mention. If you can, if you can give honorable mentions for worst <laughs> moments, uh, I think for me it would be that second quarter against Florida I, I mentioned earlier, just because that was as winnable of a game as Tennessee's had in Gainesville for a long time. And you look at it now with the way Florida finished the year, but also where Tennessee would be sitting at right now. They, that gets you nine wins. You're probably in a better bowl game. You're about to be in a better mm-hmm. bowl game. Who knows what that does for the rest of the season, for confidence, morale, all of that. Um, I, I think that was big, the way that that second quarter unfolded. The you know the Kamal Haddon missed tackle on Trevor Etienne that kind of got the ball rolling for Florida there. That that would be my, my honorable mention worst moment. But I think the worst moment was obviously losing Brew McCoy uh, against South Carolina. Uh, you mentioned Kamal's pick in that game. That's a game Tennessee won. It was a big win. But it kind of came at a cost. You know, that was a guy that was having a really good year. Tennessee expected big things out of a veteran uh, that was consistent, you know, and not it wasn't doing a ton, you know, when the, you know, stat wise, but he, the, what he could do blocking and what he could do downfield was huge for Tennessee. And I think it affected that offense the rest of the season, you know, late in the year or even midway through the year, you're playing a lot of young guys in that X receiver spot on the outside. Um, you move Dante Thornton out there. And, and like we said earlier, he was having, you know, a pretty good year or was starting to have a pretty good year turning the corner there late, but then you lose him at the end of the year. But I think losing Brew McCoy was probably the worst, at least the worst moment for the offense. Yeah, that, that was uh, just a, a tough watch kind of in general. Worst moment for me, go back to that Alabama game. You have a big lead at halftime. You see it slip away, scores 27 to 20. You're in the the mid-stage of the fourth quarter. You're only down seven. Tennessee didn't do a good job of putting together any sort of drives that entire half. But you look at the scoreboard, and it felt manageable still. But you're running out of time. Third play of the drive, Joe Milton blindsided, fumbles, Alabama, scoops and scores, takes a 14-point lead. You have about seven minutes left in the game, and that kind of just sealed the deal on that game in Tuscaloosa, a game that – uh, of course, Vol fans would be really happy to win. It's Alabama, but you beat them last year, too. If you could get two in a row, I felt like that would have been a, a really big deal here in Knoxville. But that was kind of just the moment where it officially slipped away a really tough second half for Tennessee. But that's the moment that I kind of pinpointed as the the final kind of knife in the gut, the, the final blow to Tennessee that finished up that game and handed them their second loss. Because that's another situation you talked about Florida, where if you win that game, you're 9-3, and three, maybe feeling a lot better. Even if Tennessee's nine and three with a loss to this bad Florida team, with a blowout loss to Missouri and Georgia, if you go into Tuscaloosa and you win that game, I think a lot of people are talking about this season very differently. So for me, that was the worst moment. Let's talk about some more good now, though. Now that we got some of the bad out of the way, most improved player who was someone that uh, kind of took you by surprise, maybe a little bit, or maybe you expected this kind of big step in their production, but you saw them take this leap this year. Yeah, I'm, I mentioned him earlier. I'm, I'm going to go with James Pierce. I, I thought that, uh, you know, I don't know, at least that comes to mind right away. I don't know if there is a player right now that you can feel more optimistic about, given what he was able mm-hmm. to do this year for Tennessee. I, I know it 
kind of tapered off a bit here lately because teams really have, have game planned for Tennessee's pass rush. That, that's become an emphasis. I know Rodney Gardner's talked about that. That's been kind of difficult for them because teams respect it so much. Um, but I, I think that also speaks volumes about what he was able to do that, that, you know, this is a, a young guy that teams have, you know, had to game plan for specifically because he was playing so well, he was so effective. Um, and I think he's going to be a huge asset for this defense going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there's some guys on that side of the ball. We talked about Tyler Barron. They'll have decisions to make, but you definitely get James Pierce back next year, and you got to be feeling really good about what he was able to give you this year. James Pierce, if, I mean, if he can keep this trajectory going and improve even more next year, I mean, that's a guy that's going to be a first-round pick in the NFL draft. Talking about his freshman year in 2022, didn't play a lot, just five tackles and two sacks. Fast forward to this year, 24 tackles, eight and a half sacks, and a forced fumble. So definitely just looking at the stats, James Pierce, definitely a good choice for that. I talked about him a lot already on this show, but Kamal Haddon is going to be my choice. He, he was not the best player in Tennessee secondary throughout his career at Tennessee. And we even talked about that Florida moment where he's yeah. kind of responsible for the ETN big run because he doesn't wrap up and maybe make the fundamental play. By the end of the season for him, I mean, it was tough to find a better cornerback in college football. He was playing fantastic. It it really sucked, that injury, because it would have been nice to see him be able to maybe put that all together and see if he could get uh, maybe an easier shot at the next level than what he has right now while recovering from injury because it's rare to kind of see a kid like that go from someone that you maybe don't trust on the field too much and and is getting exposed in coverage to fast forward a year later and even kind of midway through the year, it seems like he turned the corner where – he was absolutely dominant. So James Pierce, great choice for that one. I also like Kamal Haddon there as well. Specifically looking at young players, really keeping it freshman, redshirt, freshman, sophomore, uh, I would say first or second year guys. Who's a young player that did surprise you though? Maybe you didn't expect them to take this next step and they did very early in their career. Yeah, I mean, I I would say Pierce again was another one that, that kind of, you know, jumped off the page um, for me. Uh, I mean, you're talking freshmen. I, I think Elijah Herring, you know, obviously he's a sophomore, but he did some good things for you. Aaron Carter did some good things for you. I know it, it wasn't great for that defense, the, you know, the second half of the year. Um, you know, when you go, we go back to that Missouri game, the Georgia game, the way things just kind of unraveled for the defense. Uh, but I think you, you th- those two guys got a lot of valuable experience and they had to step up in, in a lot bigger role, like you mentioned earlier. Um, than, than they were expected to play. I mean, we we knew Arian Carter, he was, you know, one of the crown jewels of your mm-hmm. of your signing class, but we didn't expect to see Arian Carter play as much as he had to. Um, I know he obviously injured, but then you get, uh, you know, Elijah Herring, a guy too that played a little bit last year. Um, he comes in and, and, and has some really good moments. So I think ultimately they struggled, which I think you would, have, you would expect given, you know, the fact they didn't play a lot coming in this year, Arian Carter being a guy that didn't play at all. Before, uh, before he got in and then obviously getting injured. But you got to feel really good about the experience they were able to get and, and kind of build off that. I'll put another name in that kind of list. Jeremiah Thielander, first-year yeah. guy, freshman. For me, I, I, I never thought that Thielander was necessarily going to have a bad career or anything like that. But as a three-star guy coming in, I didn't expect him to be able to play meaningful football snaps for Tennessee in this season. So I was, I was really pleasantly surprised with what Jeremiah Thielander gave this team at the linebacker position, another guy where all these injuries kind of forced his timeline up and maybe didn't have a phenomenal season when you compare him to guys that have been doing this for three or four years. But for a true freshman to come in and to be able to play those snaps, get that experience under his belt, 
I think that he did a solid job and that's experience that's going to be really impactful going forward in his career when he looks back two, three, four years from now at being able to play these meaningful snaps as a freshman. I think that that could go a long way in his development as well. Let's move on to, to maybe another sour note, but most disappointing player, who who's someone that you expected to play really good football this year? And maybe they did fine, maybe they did good, but just was a, a step below your expectations heading into the year. Yeah, I, you know, I, I kind of, went over this one for a little bit because I think it would have to be a guy for me, at least on the offensive side of the ball, just because of, of what the expectation was for this offense. Now I know, look, you lose Jalen Hyatt, you lose Cedric Tillman, you, you lose Hendon Hooker. Obviously there was an expectation that there was going to be some kind of regression, but I think it was a little bit bigger than, than maybe people expected uh, because outside of the run game with Jalen Wright and, and Dylan Sampson at times, there wasn't a whole lot of consistency at quarterback or at wide receiver. And, and obviously both of those struggles at both those positions kind of led to the other position struggling, if that makes sense, you know? So, you know, I, I would go with Ramel Keaton um, because I, I, I don't think it was a terrible year for him by any means. No. I mean, he, I, I had high expectations for him, obviously. I know in our preseason preview, my, my bold take was, was he was going to have an all sec caliber year. I, I really liked, what he was able to do last year when he, when he came off, you know, off the sideline and when Cedric Tillman was out and made some season saving plays for Tennessee, some big catches and, and was really good in that orange bowl against Clemson as well. And, you know, he comes out in week one and, and drops, you know, a, a would be touchdown against Virginia and, and had a couple struggles there with dropping some open plays, made some good catches too, mm-hmm. got some scores and obviously closed out really strong with a career game against uh, Vanderbilt on Saturday. But I think ultimately, you know, that that receiving room, like I said, we kind of expected it to not be what it was last year, but I thought it would be a little bit better. And I thought Ramel Keaton would, would kind of be that guy to spearhead that room. And it, it just didn't pan out that way. Not a, not a terrible season by any means, but it didn't pan out to, to the way I thought it would. I, I think you can point a lot of fingers in that wide receiver room, Ramel Keaton obviously being one of them. As, as you said multiple times, not a bad season, but – after what he was able to do last year, there is kind of this expectation of taking that next step. And when you look at his stats, they're literally almost identical. 31 receptions in 2022, 32 receptions in 2023. In 2022, 562 yards. This year, 591. Five touchdowns last year, six touchdowns this year. Long of 57 last year, long of 60 this year. It's almost kind of funny how similar those stats are. And he had a good year last year. He had a, a good year this year but maybe not exactly where you'd <laughs> expect that development to be in his final year especially after kind of all the talk we heard from coaches and other players talking about all the work he's put in uh, he did mention he was banged up early in the season so maybe that can be attributed to a little bit but uh, Ramel definitely a guy that maybe kind of hoped he would take a bigger step Dante Thornton as well he got it going towards the end of the season but He's another guy that received a lot of preseason hype in that wide receiver room. Didn't get a lot of playing time early, still kind of adjusting to the offense and all the intricacies of it. And finally started to put it together, caught his first touchdown against Missouri. And then there's a regular season ending injury. So that uh, kind of stinks for him. But another guy that maybe you expected to play a little bit bigger of an impact on the defensive end. I think a lot of people forget about the hype that Joshua Josephs was getting heading into his sophomore year. Another situation where, just like the guys we named, I don't think it's fair to say they had a bad year. 
but just maybe didn't live up to the very high expectations that were placed on them. Josh Josephs was a pick that a lot of people had to lead this team in sacks out of the Leo spot. Obviously, James Pierce Jr. was instead the young guy, the young sophomore to take that next step there. But Josephs, just with three sacks on the year, 18 tackles. Like I said, I don't think it was a bad season from him by any means, but just maybe not the the elite production that a lot of people expect from Josh Josephs this season. Let's talk about next year, though, 2024. We got a little bit of a glimpse into what that schedule is going to look like last night in an ESPN report. We got some dates for SEC matchups. Still about half the schedule. We don't know when it's going to be slated, but we know the teams on it, and I'll run them uh, through them really fast, and then we'll go through a record prediction and maybe uh, kind of how you see it playing out. Chattanooga is going to open the season on August 31st. NC State in the Duke's Mayo Classic in Charlotte, North Carolina on September 7th. Next week, return back to Neyland Stadium to play Kent State. The week after that, hitting the road to play Oklahoma. I believe that is Oklahoma's first SEC game. So that'll be kind of a, a historic game against Tennessee. There should be a lot of fun in Norman. You have Florida on October 12th, the next week, third Saturday in October, Alabama coming back to Neyland Stadium, trying to get revenge still for the first time in Knoxville since falling in 2022. And on November 23rd, you have a matchup against UTEP. The dates that we don't know yet at Arkansas, at Georgia, at home against Kentucky, at home against Mississippi State with a new head coach, and at Vanderbilt. That's what the schedule is going to look like next season. Noah, what is your record prediction? Of course, plenty of time for things to change, for you to change your mind, but what are your thoughts heading into next season? What's the record going to be? Nico, obviously a big topic of discussion. How do you see his first year as the starter playing out and just overall the 2024 season? Yeah, I feel like, you know, it's it's fair to put that expectation around, you know, eight and four, nine and three. I know eight and four doesn't jump off the page to anybody because that's what you're sitting at right now. But, you know, putting it in context, I mean, obviously you just mentioned Nico, a first time starting quarterback, we would assume, um, you know, some of those receivers, you know, you get Dante Thornton back, which is big, but he's going to be coming back from injury. He may, I know he may, I know there's been no, uh, word on, on that he'll miss the bowl game. I think Josh Heupel said he'll miss the rest of the regular season, which he has, obviously. Yeah. But you maybe right now you assume he, he's back next year. Um, and then uh, some younger guys in that receiving room, Chaz Nimrod, Nathan Leacock, Caleb Webb, guys that that got a, some playing time this year. So you think, you know, in the defense too, you, you had to throw a lot of young guys in there. And that there was a lot of struggles because of that. That's one of those things you could look back on and say that was really beneficial for them because next mm-hmm. year those are going to be the guys you expect to contribute a lot. Uh, but that said, I do think that it's not fair to throw a ton of expectations on those guys either. So that's why I think eight and th- eight and four, nine and three is a fair assessment. But I like the schedule. I like the way yep. it works out because you get your biggest games at home or two, mm-hmm. a couple of your biggest games. Georgia's obviously a big one on the road, but Alabama and Florida, you get in back to back weeks in Neyland Stadium. Obviously, Tennessee beat both of those teams last time they played in Knoxville. Yeah. So you have that working in your favor. Um, Oklahoma being their first SEC game, not really sure. I know they've got all, like every team, you're going to maybe look different next year. I know they've got some big time yeah. players with some decisions to make as well. So you don't really know exactly what kind of Oklahoma team you're going to face. Um, but I think those four, Alabama, Florida, Oklahoma, and Georgia, those are kind of tough to gauge. Georgia, you know, obviously a little, maybe a little bit easier to expect a loss there because the way they're playing. And, and obviously Alabama is going to be tough. But like I said, you get those at home. 
Um, Florida is a game that right now, given the state of that program, you feel pretty good about, but we felt good about it this year too. Uh, So it's kind of tough. I I hate to use the word toss up, but maybe some of those are some toss up games, but that home schedule works out really well. I think too, you mentioned, you know, Mississippi state, Jeff Levy, a new head coach, you get to bring the, they come here, Mm -hmm. Arkansas, obviously some big news today, bringing Bobby Petrino back, but they're coming off a really bad year. You go to Fayetteville, I really like. I would say Tennessee is going to be favored in most games they play, kind of like they were this year. Um, but I think those four, Florida, Alabama, Georgia, and Oklahoma, are, are the are going to be kind of maybe the deciding games. Which they, outside of Oklahoma, those three were the kind of the deciding games for Tennessee this year. I think you're going to see that next year as well. But I, I would go eight, four, nine, and three. I, I agree. I think the schedule plays out really well, and of course, you, you have to see what everyone else looks like. You have to see how the portal shakes out. How this 2024 class wraps up. And maybe I fell into this trap a little bit last year as well, or heading into the 2023 year when you kind of go game by game and you kind of say, surely Tennessee doesn't lose this game and this game. And then, of course, by the end of the year, Missouri is a lot better than a lot of people thought. And that ends up being a lot tougher of a game. But when you look at this schedule on paper, to me, it looks like nine and three. And maybe that makes me want to pick that eight and four instead and just kind of mark up a, a random loss somewhere in there because you have a, a redshirt freshman and Nico at quarterback and you have a lot of pieces that are going to have to gel. But Oklahoma at Oklahoma, first SEC game of the season, that's a tough one. I would be surprised if Tennessee went to Norman and won that football game, at least right now. Alabama at home, you obviously feel a lot better about that now the that it's in Neyland than you did this past year going to Tuscaloosa, but that's probably a loss we'll we'll see how that one plays out i'm not saying tennessee has no chance in it but uh, that's going to be a game alabama is likely going to be favored in at georgia is always going to be a very very tough ask especially as we've mentioned with all these different circumstances around uh, tennessee and how kind of young it's going to be but outside those three games you have to feel pretty good nc state as your out of conference team that you have to worry about the most isn't that bad of a pool and and you played in charlotte but I would expect a lot of Tennessee fans to show up to that, so it shouldn't feel like a true road game or anything like that by any means. Florida, if you're on the road, I understand the worries because obviously this year Tennessee couldn't get it done. But in Knoxville, I think Tennessee should feel pretty good about that Florida game, and obviously fans care about that one a lot. And then, as you mentioned as well, Arkansas coming off a really bad season. I don't really expect them to be too much better next year. So even though that's a road game, Probably feel good about that. You get Kentucky at home again. That's also a team that Josh Heupel is 3-0 against. Mississippi State with a first-year head coach. Maybe they're a lot better than people expect, but that's also kind of hard to imagine that they're going to be this really dominant team in, in Levy's first year and be a, a tough team for Tennessee to take down in Neyland. And then Vanderbilt as well. Uh, Vanderbilt's Vanderbilt coming off a 2-1 season. That That's uh, one of those games that you almost mark up as a win before it starts. Schedule plays out well. That's a long way to say it, going through it kind of game by game. But I think Tennessee's got a really good shot to go 9-3 and three next season and then go into a redshirt sophomore year for Nico, a sophomore year for Mike Matthews and a lot of these other younger guys uh, getting more and more experience under their belt, becoming juniors and seniors and figuring it out under Josh Heupel. And that's when I think this team could really be in the conversation for an, an SEC title it is not next year but the year after but I think you can really get a good head start on that with the way this schedule breaks out next season. That'll do it all from us here today 
on the Vol Report show. We have basketball coming up soon, though. The day this is posted on Wednesday, Noah Taylor will be in Chapel Hill for the North Carolina game, another big-time matchup for Tennessee's men's basketball program. And the Lady Vols, in their half of the ACC-SEC Challenge, hosting Notre Dame in Knoxville, I'll be in attendance for that. So we have coverage from both of the teams on Wednesday. And then going forward as well, we will be covering both the programs. And football is not over just yet. We'll have a bowl game announcement coming up soon. And we'll be on the road again to go and cover that. So make sure you head to ballreport.com to get all the content you need on Tennessee. Links to everything you need is in the description. And thank you for watching.